0: Welcome to Don't You Want Me, a podcast series taking a light-hearted look at the most relatable, intriguing, and dysfunctional relationships in film. I'm Rich. I'm Cat. Are
1: you afraid of thunder?
0: Oh no, just the noise.
1: You, you know what thunder is, don't you?
0: Of course. It's uh, something about the air. Not a about- No. Uh, When a clumsy cloud from here
1: meets a fluffy little cloud from there, he billows towards her. She scurries away, and he scuds right up to her. She cries a little, and there you have your shower. He comforts her.
0: They spark. That's the lightning. They kiss. Thunder.
1: In this episode, we're tying up our white ties and brushing off our tails with 1935 screwball comedy Top Hat, directed by Mark Sandridge. With a screenplay written by Alan Scott and Dwight Taylor, and with music by Irving Berlin, this film was one of nine movies that Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire made together, and perhaps the best known. What is it about their partnership that makes them such a glittering example of a symbiotic silver screen pairing? It really doesn't matter if the skies are grey, as long as we can watch Fred and Ginger, it's a lovely day.
0: It is a lovely day. I'm glad I wore a top hat for this as well.
1: Yes, it looks very natty on you.
0: (laughs) Yes, I need a better white tails. What (laughs) what a lovely film this was. You suggested this one and I hadn't seen it before. And full disclosure, I haven't seen any Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers films before this. And it really is quite jaunty, isn't
1: it? I really like the opening and it kind of harks back to this era that you don't get now where you have, you know, the two leads names on the screen, and you get their bottom halves. And you know, you just have that thing of like, this is a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers project. And that's like the main selling point. And I know that we have, you know, so many films now where different stars getting paired together, sometimes, you know, like in the case of La La Land, you might get you know two actors that have been paired together in other films that people recognize their chemistry is good so they use them a few times but for this one it's it's such a distinct thing isn't it where the two of them get paired for nine films And that's the main thing that people are going to see the movie for. And it's so interesting that that doesn't seem to happen in the same way anymore with like mainstream movies, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I guess part of that is when people are in nine films together, it's part of some sort of franchise or cinematic universe. Whereas these, as far as I'm aware, are nine films that are completely separate. They're they're not sequels at all. They're just nine stories and nine movies that happen to have, well, not happen to have, but are leading or led by Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, yeah. and I guess that I mean they weren't married, they were you know very much like professionals who just had great chemistry on screen yeah um, and and again, part of the reading I did around this, and i 't pretend to be any kind of expert, but it sounds like you know they, they were rivals in some way or they you know they certainly had that kind of behind the scenes a little bit of who's the lead, who's the star, doing the choreography and, and some of the bits around those extra things that they were doing. But yeah. the fact that you wouldn't think about that when you watch the film and you sit there, I mean, this film's nearly 90 years old and you can sit there and look at them and seeing they're, they're great on screen together and these aren't people just forced together because they're big names and and, and the way that, I guess, cinema has changed. But the fact that then... Even if you had seen the other eight of their films together, and then you watch Top Hat, you are not going to go, "Oh God, them again!" <laughs> you know, and then every time you sort of see like a movie and someone ro- rocks up in it in either a cameo or a part, and you think, oh, "Of course, there you go." Yeah. These days, be James Corden or something like that, but even now, you, you watch it and you think they're able to light up in the way that they do, and and from a dance point of view, and yes, Fred Astaire gets more. I wanna say screen time dance time, he gets yeah. a couple more solo bits, but that when they're together, they're as good as each other. And yeah. and there isn't that kind of obvious mismatch that thing. And it's just so interesting to watch and it, and it was fantastic to see them together because yes, this is a fairly simplistic tale of mistaken identity. Yes. In in its purest essence. But because of their chemistry, because of and and it was a very Fun supporting cast and all the supporting players were were fantastic as well and really lifted it because I mean a story like this is it's ten a penny and, <laughs> yeah you know, it's like, quite mad <laughs> it's it's a very yeah you know, oh let's make a film where they kink are someone else okay yeah we've seen it a billion times and yet this works because everyone involved is giving a kind of eight or nine out of ten performance in their little roles yes and the two of these are just fantastic together and you can see why it's so beloved.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. And um, it feels very fresh, I think. I think I, I'm, in fact, I, I was sort of aware of the kind of arrogance of maybe, um, maybe this is just down to me, but poss- possibly of, of my generation in approaching some of these films before I'd seen a Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers film. I think I projected quite a lot onto what. It was going to be and I thought that you know I was going to have um, incredible dancing to watch but maybe something that was a little bit saccharine maybe a bit dated a bit kind of you know treacly maybe and then when you actually go in and watch it you think oh oh it's actually very witty really tongue-in-cheek it's it takes its art incredibly seriously in the sense that the dancing is out of this world, but at the same time, the film's tone doesn't take itself too seriously at all. And so it kind of, you know, leaves you with this lovely sort of feeling of elation, I think. And that thing that you're describing about their working relationship as well, I think that there is something genuinely cheering about seeing a man and woman be able to, work together for that long that successfully and as you say they weren't they weren't married there may well have been tension between them but I think that that's just inevitable if you're going to have to work with someone that closely for that many years I think similarly as um as we talked about with Paul Abbott in the Thin Man episode with William Powell and Myrna Loy there was an attraction there that, you know, only went so far. And I think I think Ginger Rogers, um, in the later years of her life, in the memoir that she wrote, I might be wrong in saying this, but I think that she wrote that they did once have a kiss in the back of a car. And so that indicates that there was a little bit of an attraction between Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. And, and that in itself might be something that kind of comes through in some of these performances in the sense, you know, they're both kind of with other people and stuff, but there's actually something that might sometimes have led to tension, sometimes led to attraction, but ultimately leads to this incredible partnership that I don't think has really been replicated, has it, since really this, this idea of like, and I don't want to use the word iconic because it's overused these days, but it is an iconic pairing, isn't it?
0: Yeah, because I think the the similar kind of equivalent stuff are either a group of, they're of the same sex generally, or if they are the opposite sex, then there's probably some kind of off-screen, either romance or nepotism or whatever it happens to be.
1: Yes, completely. Uh,
0: Whereas these, and how they were paired, I, I don't know. I'll plead ignorance on that. But in terms of, you know, these are two people at the top of their game who just happen to be doing it. You know, I mean, we're talking about, you know we we could turn around today and say what's the nearest equivalent it would be like Julia Roberts and George Clooney or something and they've made what two three films together yeah and even then oceans whatever was was an ensemble thing
1: yeah i suppose Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone they've made two movies together hmm. haven't they i think it's just two i wouldn't be surprised if they made another one together i mean i think that their chemistry was something that kind of drove their casting for La La Land, I think.
0: Yeah, and that happens. Yeah. And I think, you know, but I mean, it would be a very brave decision now to kind of push two people, real kind of big, big name stars and just put a load of films with them that aren't linked in any way. And they're completely different characters in completely different situations and worlds. And to have that versatility... Now, because you know, now they'd be in a superhero costume or a goblin or something weird. Yeah, but no, it's it's it's. I mean, it's fantastic to see, and you kind of it makes you want to go and watch some of the others. Um, and I guess this one is so readily available. I mean, at the time of recording, anyway, you know, this is available on on BBC iPlayer to yes. just go and watch. You know, it's it's there. It's one of those films that it's a classic, and you don't have to worry about which streaming service it's on because it's so big. And you think about you know, again, this going off a slight tangent about the films of this era and I think 90 years ago and how many other films from that era are still available to watch. I mean, we, we talked about The Finn Man and yeah. I think from sort of anecdotal evidence from since we did our podcast about it with Paul, um, it seems to be very popular in, in the States and yet yes. in the UK, not really, doesn't really make much of a, a register on anyone.
1: And it's hard to get hold of over here, isn't it? It I is. Mean, I mean, relatively speaking. Yeah. yeah,
0: I mean, we got hold of it by <laughs> possibly legal means. Um, <laughs> didn't download it. And, um, but again, that, that, that's the case for a lot of these things. And, um, you know, so, so much is uh, lost to time, I suppose. But, um, you know, things like this are still there to remind you that, you know, film didn't start in whenever the Avengers started or whatever rom com happy with you know this was something that was elevated by performances and and skill and it was a well-made thing and i mean when you look at the sets as well bloody bloody hell 90 years ago they were doing stuff like that in black and white making these giant sets in hollywood
1: oh it's incredible isn't Mm. it i mean the glamour is extraordinary actually i'm gonna i'm gonna read this little extract from the roger ebert um review of top hat and he says, because we are human, because we are bound by gravity and the limitations of our bodies, because we live in a world where the news is often bad and the prospects disturbing, there is a need for another world somewhere, a world where Fred Astaire and Gigi Rogers live, where everyone is a millionaire and ho- hotel suites are the size of ballrooms and everything is creased, combed, brushed, shined, polished, powdered and expensive. <laughs> And it's it's so true, isn't it?
0: It's it's a fantasy world.
1: It's a wonderful universe <laughs> to just step into. I mean, you know, her gowns oh. in it are just unbelievable and um the cheek to cheek dance, I think particularly when she's wearing that kind of feathered gown. There's something about the the way the feathers move with her body that kind of really, you know, just sort of mimics the feeling that you get from a movie like this. It's just light as air and it's just so sort of sensual and soft and just, you know, yeah, leaves you feeling kind of cocooned in a sort of haze of rosiness.
0: (laughs) And yet if you're also stuck on BBC, you can put Strictly on and see Tony Adams trying to recreate something like this and uh, get a very, a very different reaction.
1: Yes, yes, that's very true that's very true now oh, well this is the thing this is why uh strictly is quite interesting in that way because when you're watching a movie like this you realize if you've watched a lot of strictly which i have that the really remarkable dancers have a combination of of incredible technical ability but also something else so it's not that fred astaire was just you know just technically better than you know so many other people it's also you know the way he's able to kind of make it look so organic or something you know as if as if anyone could do it and then you watched strictly and as you say you might watch someone like tony adams or any number of people and it's clear that it's incredibly hard and that he i think fred astaire just you know worked amazingly hard at his his craft and just would rehearse all the time and um, even though he makes it look effortless it just really wasn't so. yeah
0: but Fred Astaire didn't win three titles with Arsenal did he so this is true yeah. but this um, true. But, uh, but then you look I mean Fred Astaire when he's doing it especially the first dance where he does in in the room with Horace yeah, which wakes which wakes up Dale and they're just chatting away and all of a sudden just burst into song yeah and he bursts into song burst into dance and so I mean you get those feelings some people you just sit there and smile. Other people, you know, some of us burst into tap dance. You know, <laughs> wake up the neighbours. But um, I, bet- I love
1: that. I love <laughs> that moment. I think this was the fir- This was definitely the first uh, um, Fred and Ginger movie that I saw, and I, you know, I wasn't sure what to expect. And I think it's that moment when he bursts into that song about being um fancy free and free for anything fancy, where I thought, oh, my God, I love this. <laughs> I was, like, <laughs> deeply in love with this already.
0: <laughs> Fabulous. Yes. And things like, and his facial expressions as well. I mean, you've already talked about his you know, his work ethic, his craft and all that, but he just looks, like, strange to say now, because, you know, this isn't sort of me or, or something you'd expect these days, but he just looks like this is what people do. Yeah. What do you mean? You're yeah. not getting up and dancing because you're happy? <laughs> you're happy with your life? Oh, let's turn it into a performance, and it's just and and it just looks so to say normal is just categorizing it in this worst possible way. But it's, it just looks so happy, bastard. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, well, um it's quite a good showcase for singlehood that song I think because he's basically singing about the fact that he's just you know open to anything and he's got his freedom and um in comparison to some of the movies that we've seen I mean we did 500 days of summer recently and in the moments where he's single the lead in that film doesn't make it look all that much fun but um fred at the start of this film looks pretty <laughs> looks like a pretty good life so far well in,
0: in 500 days of summer there was a dance number of sorts and that was only because he got his end away wasn't it
1: Yes, yeah, exactly why <laughs> why
0: well, they always have a little scheme look here young fellow i think it's about time you found out for yourself oh you do, do i certainly do no thanks horace in me you see a youth who is completely on the loose no yens, no yearnings no strings no
1: connections no ties
0: to my affections,
1: I'm fancy free and free for anything and, no, I heard Matthew Bourne talking to Oti Mabuse no from um, Strictly About me, Fred Astaire, and he said that the thing that made him a really remarkable dancer is exactly the thing that you're describing, which is that he made dancing look natural, that that's kind of the key to the beauty of his dancing, rather than making it look like something that, you know really put you through your paces and I think that that you know there's so many moments in this movie where that's really true and that scene I don't know what you thought but the scene where he does top hat the big central one when they have that solo sequence at the end where the kind of lights go down another person that you can really see that he influenced which I think is I think he did say so a few times that he'd really influenced him was um Michael Jackson so that comes through quite strongly during that sequence I think
0: whether it's influence or not, you can see how these things evolve from a style of dancing that's yeah. not fashionable, and it's the performance as you know as much just kind of invigorates whether it's michael jackson or or any kind of live performer. If you can do that and look like you're enjoying it, it could be the drummer in a band or doing a particular routine or performance or whatever and and you can look like I've done this so many times, it's like playing snooker. If you turn up and play snooker like that, and just look like I'm like Ronnie O'Sullivan, doing a, knocking all the balls in. Look at look how happy I am. It's like Fred Astaire, and people still talk about it. Yeah, hundred years later.
1: Yeah, completely, oh. completely. It's,
0: it's, it's giddy thinking about it. I watched it last night. It's amazing.
1: Oh, how fantastic!
0: <laughs> look what you've done.
1: <laughs> um, I think this movie challenges some of the things that I've been pontificating about on this podcast with you because one thing is that though obviously the dialogue in this is you know witty and snappy and funny I think that uh, you know an even sort of more important aspect of how they put across the relationship between Dale and Jerry is is uh, the way they move together, is the way they dance together, and that's quite interesting because I think when we've been talking about movies like, you know, maybe Love Actually, and so on and so forth, we we quite often might talk about uh, how much dialogue there is and talk about the importance of dialogue between two people in order to kind of convey the feeling between them. And in this one, it's sort of something more central, isn't it? It's it's down to it's down to how not just their sparring, but also how they move together. And that tells you so much. I mean, you don't, when you've got dancing like this, you you don't need a sex scene. I mean, I know they wouldn't have been able to have one, but it's interesting, isn't it? You kind of think, oh, maybe, maybe they started to need more things like sex scenes when people stopped being able to dance.
0: <laughs> well, I guess when, when you stood rigid on a cross on a sound stage you know, and you're not encouraged to move too much because it's too disturbing. Um, you know, and, and if you are a dancer and your your whole thing is movement, you know, it's, it's standing still is what makes it look alien. Um, yes. Yeah. And I think, you know, some of the some of the little bits and even, you know, I, I noted a couple of the, the real dad joke in there about what makes this horse move. Horsepower. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's just like little not just the facial movements, but that little kind of shrug and the way he says it as a kind of like, yeah, I did it and but if, you know <laughs> the way she slaps him and the way you know it's all about the movement in there yes, yes um you know and you don't get that from because it's not that kind of film where they have these tense dramatic scenes but they are still people go to see ginger Rogers Fred Astaire move it doesn't matter what they're moving but you know even when they're not dancing they if they stood still people would kind of be like this is weird
1: yeah complete.
0: you know I don't want to kind of pick out a current actor by by name just to pick on them but you know if you sat there and looked at someone because you get a million people who can deliver a line but if you're just standing there like a statue then it's boring go that, on
1: pick someone out
0: i wouldn't know because it's all cgi these days isn't it? But okay. it's, <laughs> <laughs> baby odor. but it's um <laughs> but even so you've got you, you need to have that there to look natural and yes it's you know like like we talked about it is a fantasy world but that's what people go to see. And they yeah. go to see because a lot of people, when they have conversations, whether they're emotional or angry in, in some other way, you know, they, they move. They move their hands. They move their body weight. They move the shoulders to kind of illustrate points and things like that. Yeah. Um, and if, um, if Dale's going to slap him a couple of times, if Ginger Rogers slaps you, she does it with some sort of pizzazz. <laughs> and there is a, a movement in that centre of gravity, you know, not only does she probably hit him with exactly the right amount of force, but also does it elegantly as well.
1: Apparently Catherine Hepburn said about the two of them that he brought her class and she brought him sex, which is a pretty interesting quote. Okay. And when you're watching them, there is something about Ginger Rogers where you think, actually, if there was someone Kind of more, in fact, an example might be that in, in a film called Funny Face, he's paired with Audrey Hepburn, and Audrey Hepburn, as a kind of performer, is so incredibly kind of elegant and fresh faced and has this sort of innocence about her. Uh, whereas Ginger Rogers has a much more kind of earthy quality, and it's true that there is something about how different they are as performers that I think really works in terms of the contrasts between them just a i know that we like a friends reference on this podcast <laughs> so um her, her quality as a as a kind of comedic actor reminds me a little bit of jennifer aniston specifically season two friends okay where that's the season where there's a lot of kind of jealousy around um
0: that's the uh, main kind of will they won't they the first will they won't yeah they, isn't it yeah, yeah
1: completely. and um I think that's the thing in these in these movies. Ginger Rogers quite often kind of gives off that thing of um, she's charming and she's flirtatious, but she's you know has real sort of like moments of kind of you know being quite stubborn, being a bit cross, being quite vulnerable, being quite insecure, and a lot of you know very kind of relatable aspects of kind of you know that will they won't they falling in love does he love me I love him you know that that all kind of crosses her face and I think that's part of their appeal as well is that she does bring that kind of feeling of the real life kind of sexuality between between you know a man and a woman when when they're into each other and yeah and it does remind me a little bit of um, jennifer aniston you know and that my friend is what they call closure you know that
0: and there's me thinking you were going to do something about step step and jazz hands <laughs> i mean when when the plot moves to to italy and this is where madge horace's wife steps in and threatens to steal the show somehow and some of the scenes there, when because Dale is under the impression that Jerry is actually Horace, she talks to Madge about Horace and all these kind of things, you know, saying what they did, and she thinks he's a married man. Yes, and even Madge is like, "Oh, good for Horace." You
1: know? <laughs> I love Madge. I'm you know, with she's Madge. so
0: amazing. And just like, "Oh, really? Oh, well, well done you for getting it out of him," you know. Yeah. Um, and there were a lot of face facial expressions there from from Dale or Ginger. I wouldn't say she was stewing. But like you said about those kind of facial expressions that the emotions of kind of she's both confused and angry and a little bit kind of, oh, okay this is quite interesting. This isn't a vanilla courtship going on here where she's kind of processing it in real time for us to see. And as they start trying to outdo and outbluff each other, it then becomes a, a race and a contest between them. Which is great. And I mean, it would all be resolved if, you know, they just go, oh, hello, Jerry, Horace, whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, but, yeah, completely. Yeah. You know, and this is where, they, you know, the, the story is so flimsy. <laughs> yeah. And yet they make it work because there's all these kind of japes and it's all a little bit kind of. What's the have got a film on the tip of my tongue where it's like they're all racing around. You know, and, and if they only were in the one place at the one time it would all be resolved quite quickly.
1: Yes. Um, yeah,
0: and yeah. even when Mad sees Jerry in the in the restaurant for dinner, she starts addressing him as like he's her husband. She doesn't say, yes, Oh, she... Jerry or Oh, where's Horace? or anything like that. It's just like, Oh well, I'm glad you two have met. You know, <laughs> you know it's all very modern. It's like, Oh, you have my blessing.
1: No, no, completely. <laughs> No, the, actually the relationship between Horace and Madge is in itself fantastic mm. to watch that kind of, you know, uh, saying, oh, I was surprised that he made an impression And him going, yeah, oh, I resent that. <laughs> <laughs> All of that's so fantastic. I mean, that's the thing. It's quite sweet, actually, because she kind of makes a few references to how, you know, sort of she's she's very disparaging about, Horace on, on lots of levels but also does say a few times like it's actually quite lovely having a dependable husband and I wish you had one too which kind of indicates that Horace probably is actually quite a good husband if you know what I mean so there's a, there's that kind of sweet realism to their relationships a bit kind of Homer and Marge isn't it
0: <laughs> yeah they're well, not far off the names, are they? But...
1: <laughs> yeah that's true ooh yeah. interesting
0: mm. but I mean one other thing that I mean we, we often talk about the how the film would be now in 2023 as we're recording and and um and one thing i picked up and i know something we don't often go into is um how his valet um uses modern pronouns he refers to himself as they and them and oh interesting yes and you kind of think that's that's something that i i know it was for a purpose and there was a there was some elements of, of humor there but you kind of think like that's quite common now Yes, that's thing, true. Like, you know, again, if, you know, you, and you don't need to be kind of controversial or overly over the top with it. It's just yeah. something that, I mean, people do it now and it's not for fun, but, but but it's there and it's kind of like, oh, well, you know, it's something that people did back yeah. then. And and it's interesting when you think about it with, with our modern eyes and ears and stuff. But, um, and, you know, there, there was an element, I suppose, of whether it was class or whether it was, you know the, the the help or whatever it was, but you know referring to people by their surnames exclusively, you yes. know a, a he him she her whatever thing, wasn't really the done thing or, or certainly wasn't pushed upon, and um, you yeah, know it was quite, quite interesting to see. You
1: know, a lot of butlers who are named
0: Jeeves. <laughs> you know, I think when you when you name a baby
1: Jeeves. <laughs> You've pretty much mapped out his future, wouldn't you say? Not much chance he's going to be a hitman, I think, after that. Terribly
0: sorry, sir, but I'm going to have to whack you.
1: It's almost 90 years old, and I think people project quite a lot onto an era like this, where they go, oh, well, everyone was like this then, and everyone thought in these completely outdated ways. But sometimes, I mean, we've talked about that before. You can be quite surprised, I think, when you go back to this era and you think, oh, there are certain things actually that feel kind of more modern than if you watch something from the 90s, say. Mm.
0: I think um, Alberto and and Dale's kind of relationship was very much based on kind of professional and convenience. And, you know, there was nothing romantic going on. But, of course, then when that's threatened, he gets a sword out and starts threatening to kill people. (laughs) So it's kind of like because she's married him in haste because she's angry... Yes. Well, well I, I suppose it's the whole kind of Mick Jagger marriage, wasn't it? It's like, well, we never actually legally got married, therefore I don't have to pay for, for a divorce. But
1: Yes, but his sword wielding, I think, never really feels threatening, which no, I no. think is key. <laughs> it's but... always a joke and Madge comes in and is just like, oh, I'm just coming in to watch what's going <laughs> on. <laughs> like no one is actually scared.
0: No, but, um, but I mean, the, the fact is, is that the most offensive performance there was, was Alberto's because it was... Was, I read it was so offensive to Mussolini, they banned the film in Italy, oh really, because it was a they saw it as a negative stereotype of italians
1: oh
0: okay but, uh, different times different times but yeah and, and it was kind of you know that that character other than the the bad Italian part of it is quite transferable to modern times as well you yeah. know he's whether it 's a kind of gay best friend kind of thing or whether it 's just a friend with benefits or whatever situational term you happen to put on it you know and, and ultimately at the end of the day we're all friends we'll have a big song and dance together
1: yes yes i i think that that's one of the major things about this as a romantic comedy if one classes a romantic i mean how come or not uh that is different to so many that we've watched for this podcast that have made more recently is that um Sometimes when you're told about the structure of a good kind of drama, romantic comedy, you're you know you're told these kind of beats about you know this needs to happen then this then you know they'll have the they'll have the meet cute, this will happen they'll develop and then there's the jeopardy and then they come back together again and. In these ones, it's always so interesting in the sense that they do mirror that structure to a degree. But then there's this point in the movie where I think in more modern films they'll give you that real jeopardy, like, and this will be the point that they'll break up. So, say, take for an example, Knocked Up. Mm, you know, there's yeah. that moment, isn't there, kind of towards the end, where there's they kind of the relationship between them completely disintegrates, and that's the sort of key part of it. In the in these movies, that beat is taken up with them teaching each other like the local dance. (laughs) 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 And that, you know, because I've I've watched a few of them now and that's quite a sort of, you know, different versions of that happen. And it's so interesting because it just, yeah, as a way of making romantic comedies, they're like, you know what? yeah, we'll have, we'll have a few twists in the plot, but there doesn't really need to be any jeopardy. The, you know, The stakes don't need to be too high. There's no need to upset the audience <laughs> like two thirds of the way through the movie. And I think that's something that's really changed. I was thinking that, yeah, I, I feel like now in the conventional romantic comedy mould if if the if the studio had sent the script to to the producers they they would have got that script back going yeah the bit where she you know does the piccolino dance with him that's the bit that they've got to you know he has to leave the hotel and go i'm never going to see her again you know that has to be that bit they can't just like you know talk about the venetians doing this lovely dance and everyone coming in and you know being happy
0: oh she's still on my foot oh god it's it's (laughs) over no, exactly. No, and I, and I think that that that's the thing, and that you know, and I don't want to be patronizing, but you know, keep it simple. People like simple. It's not difficult. It's I, yes. mean, I mean, it's very difficult to get it right, but I think with with this again, you know, this just goes to show that, like you know, I said earlier that the film, the story itself, is very basic. Yeah. Um, but we're talking about it ninety years later because of the performances and because of the effort that's gone into the production and and the music and the dancing and everything else and and even the script you know some of the quotes in there are all-timers i mean how many times do you hear something similar was it all is fair in love and war and this is revolution yes you know it's like little things <laughs> yeah. like that where they just tweet and it just sounds so it it sounds brilliant i mean that should be a kind of gravestone kind of line really isn't it yeah but, completely uh, you know and, and even the stuff that you said that the the things that madge comes out with that are timeless you know, yes. no, you know these things have been going on for hundreds of years let alone decades were saying about was it have you any objections if i scare him so he never looks at another woman and she comes up with um no husband is ever scared too scared to look
1: yes very good line you know this very is stuff that's
0: been going on since the dark ages
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> mary and joseph were having that kind of discussion um, completely yeah, there's a different story but um but yeah, yeah. Stuff, stuff like that, you know, if if the writing's good and funny, it's timeless. It doesn't have to be knob gags or jokes about really controversial things. I mean, people like simple stuff if it's done
1: well. Yeah. Yes, and also I think that people, it, um, I think another, another thing about it is that because of Madge delivering those lines, a lot of which I think are very uh, kind of real about mm. long-term relationships as as far as i can tell um is that because you have the these dance sequences that are so incredibly romantic because they're just you know the, the songs are so lovely and the dancing is out of this world and it's really hard not to be swept up in it you have that through line don't you throughout the movie where there is someone kind of cutting through that romance all the time going yeah you know but ultimately being in a relationship isn't always going to feel like you're dancing cheek to cheek in an incredible feathered gown. It's going to be ultimately also a bit like the, you know, the world that Madge and Horace inhabit. And that's okay, but it's the two things together that it's, it's not, it doesn't feel too, even though it's complete escapism, at the same time, it doesn't as a movie feel like it's sort of feeding you something that could ultimately make you feel totally let down. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, because I think it's fantasy world. There is grounding as well to remind you that it's not all imagination. This was written by people and people who know life um, and, and the kind of stuff that, you know, again, this has been going on for so long. and. And also and be honest, I mean this isn't a long film, it's what, ninety six, ninety-seven minutes. Yeah, I love and that. You can't have an hour and a half of people dancing. Yeah. It's too much effort just to watch. Um <laughs> you know, you need something in between just to let you sit down and enjoy and prepare for the next set piece. Yeah. You know, and if it's good chemistry between a middle-aged couple or whether it's scenes of some slapstick comedy you know getting slapped in the face going mm, she loves me you know yes. that's like something out of charlie brown but um <laughs> you know that things like that but i think that yeah i mean 90 minutes of dancing blarney that'd be a lot
1: that would be a lot i mean
0: look at strictly we're talking about strictly i mean they're not dancing for 90 minutes you've got your moose for scythe talking away in the back I mean, you no know, he's not still doing it he's dead me he? um that,
1: but me that's dated this podcast Sorry.
0: but uh yeah in 20- we're
1: too young to know who bruce forsyth was
0: 2023 Rich still thinks that bruce forsyth presents strictly <laughs> um but yeah i mean you've, you know they're not dancing for an and half you've got your vts you've got your live studio bits you've got all the other stuff you know you need to you know have ups and downs you know put your foot put on the gas take it off
1: that sequence when they danced to isn't it a lovely day is really interesting, given that that's the first one I think that they're paired up for in this movie. And I think that when you think of Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, you think of her being in an incredible gown and him being in his white tie and tails. And that one, I think, kind of took me aback because the fact that she's kind of in, you know, that tweed jacket and trousers and kind of mimicking some of his moves they're kind of it's it's quite um it sort of abandons that kind of thing of yes this is the lady and this is the man it has a real sort of freshness to it and um sometimes i think in uh, programs like strictly they kind of adopt that stylistically in recent years that kind of thing and they're given you know real credit for kind of mo- modernizing the whole form you know they put the man and the woman in trousers or this or the other and then you watch this and you go oh people have been doing that for ages yeah. so um yeah but it's 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 lovely it, that's the thing they they have these different dance sequences and they even though it's always the two of them it's the, the different interpretations of, of the dynamic between them the way it changes to one sequence and another is is really beautiful and, and really unusual as well
0: yeah because well that the, the kind of i'll say power imbalance but the fact that um he is kind of pursuing her in the way and she thinks he's some kind of, uh, say, the, the upstairs noisy neighbor type. But then he starts, you know, nicks a horse and cart to take her off to horse and cart, horse and carriage, to take her off, and and this uh, ahead of this scene and things like that. And it's just just goes to show that you know he he's he's there, and and she's the one with the cards that we talk about sometimes. You know, essentially, mm, yeah. you know, she's the one who's getting driven around. Ridden around, or what do you do with a carriage? Do you ride? Drive. Um, and yeah, she's the one who leads that. And she's the one who, I mean, they do put in the kind of the, the heavy reducer of, oh, she's a woman, she's scared of thunder. But other than that, she's the one who's kind of in control and has the say. Um, you know, and, and he'd quite happily do whatever. You know, I'll say anything, I'll say anything, I'll be anything. <laughs> And she's like, no, 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 let's 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 just dance. Let's
1: <laughs> dance. What do you think of the the kind of the connection between them? Who do, I mean, I I think that you're right. I think that it does very often feel as if he's kind of putty in her hands, and I think that's sort of key to because he in these movies he does do a lot of pursuing of her, and I but I think that that's that's why it feels. Okay, is because it never it never really feels like he's sort of going to be threatening her at all. It feels as if you know if she did put her foot down and go, "You've got to go where you go." Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think there's still, yeah. there's still a respectfulness there. Yeah. Where he, I mean, and again, you know, we're going back to the the courting rituals of the 1930s, and we're seeing how these things worked, albeit through the majesty of film, but. Even so, you know she. she, This is going to sound, in isolation, this sounds horrible. So let's not clip this for a quote. But she loves it, and (laughs) and you know, and she does give enough back, enough of a pushback on a lot of this, so that it's quite clear there's a line, and when he's close to crossing it. But then this is where the mistaken identity, and she thinks the line is he's married. So okay. that's where the line blurs and moves. Um, yeah. And then he, because he doesn't quite realize that line and keeps crossing it because he doesn't know where the line is. I mean, the line is a dot to him and, <laughs> and this is where the, the comedy comes in. And this is where the kind of, there is that jeopardy at least um, because at what point is this all going to unravel? Uh, and eventually it does. But um yeah. yeah, I think that there is enough respect there where I, I you know, and again, you know, I'm not going to hark back to the glory days when things were proper, but you do think, you know, in in this film, if she does just said, No, I'm not interested, he'd be like, oh, Okay, and that'd be it, and it'd be the end of the film, it'd be really short, but yeah. I think, uh, and he'd find someone else to pester for nine movies, but I think it, it works. <laughs> and I think that there is that there where you don't feel like he's a pain. You know, he's not doing it because he can. He's not doing it because I'm going to tap my way into that. I'm going to tap that. There you go. There you go. And, um, yeah, so, but I think that that there's enough there. And I think, you know, ultimately this is a a film where people come out of feeling lifted and not going, oh, he was horrible.
1: Oh, oh, completely. Um, I think that he really wins you over, Fred Astaire, because of his relationship to her and I mean that kind of you know as well as sort of inc- it incorporating the way he dances with her and things because that's you know it's a bit like some of these other sort of great film stars like maybe Humphrey Bogart or even kind of Jack Nicholson or this or the other when you just you know if you just see a picture of Redstar, you wouldn't necessarily think that you're going to watch a film and fall in love with him during the process of it because you know he's not necessarily like really conventionally handsome or anything like that but his um yeah his his way of interacting with her is just so charming and so unthreatening, but at the same time persuasive and then someone that can dance that well with you just feels you know it's quite seductive i think as a as a way of well it looks like it looks like a man who's in tune with the woman that he's with, mm. and that in itself is quite you know charming as a. It's an attribute, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I think that. I mean, there's a lot to be said for opposites attract, but sometimes you need to have a good match.
1: Have you forgotten what we've
0: been to each other? No. Well, what we've been to each other. Oh, I knew yesterday in the park when I was dancing in your arms. You remembered who I was.
1: Of course. Who are you? The screwball comedies make me miss a kind of era when sparring was more sort of socially acceptable i think maybe when i'm feeling a little bit kind of nervous or maybe when i like someone i'm kind of prone to quips and movies like this make you feel that that's okay and that that's also part of um maybe a flirtation or the you know just a any kind of relationship with someone but do you think that maybe that's gone out of fashion now like now we're all kind of more worried about how we're gonna hurt each other's egos so we tend to kind of just steer clear of sparring we're just more polite with each other is that good is that bad? Um, I
0: I think there's part of that Uh, I think for for good or bad I mean it's probably dressed up as I don't know, banter now or something like that. Um, and Whether that's a good thing or not, I don't know. But um, I, I'd imagine that whether people are quick to be offended or just people aren't sure of what really goes now. I mean, I mean, again, if it's good-natured, then it shouldn't be offensive anyway. And you can josh and you can have a spa with someone. And as long as it's not about things that you'd be right to be offended about, then what's the harm in it um and i mean especially if you're able to give it back in a way that's acceptable but yeah you know i I think there should be some space there for playfulness and for being able to take a joke and being able to yes take the joke and develop it and push it back and make it funnier um
1: yeah
0: and go along with it i think um you know, the, the, there's, you know, it, again, talking about the lines to cross, it's a very easy line to fall foul of completely. But I think, you know, what's what's the harm if if you like someone? I mean, it's like going back to the playground, isn't it? You know, not quite pulling pigtails and things like that. But, you know, it's, it's nice to have a little bit of fun. You know, you see it in the animal kingdom where animals are a little bit, play a little bit rough, that kind of stuff. And if you're using words yeah. for it, then, yeah, all the better. Let's have, a, let's have some fun.
1: Yes, well, as you say as well, it allows for – because I know that you said that they're a good match and that's what makes it work. But sparring allows for difference between people, which I think is quite sort of important because if what you're looking for is ultimately just a copy of yourself, then I think that you just end up getting bored and – you know, life can fall a bit flat ultimately if you just want someone to follow you around and do all the things that you like doing. Um whereas when you're watching these great screwball comedies, it sort of makes the argument for actually a good match is like a good sandwich. It's like cheese and pickle or something. It's not trying to find someone that's the same as you. It's someone that will, you know, be like a lovely a lovely contrast with mm. you. But
0: well, that's the thing though, isn't it? Perfect <laughs> isn't the same otherwise it would be <laughs> exactly. horrendous i mean you know the perfect person isn't going to be the same as you because that'd be weird god mm. imagine that You're like in a mirror that's a bit like narcissist type think if you want exactly the same
1: there's a direct nod to movies like this in la la land there's a sort of whole sequence of the sort of like semi-fantasy sequence that's um that's a reference to this one and but in so many other ones as well i think that you know we've got we've got them to thank for probably sprinkling a little bit of a little bit of magic in some of these romantic films that we've been watching
0: and as you mentioned before we were recording a little bit of magic into mel brooks movies as well <laughs> you know we're, we're going to half expect half the cast of a local western to barge in at any time towards the end
1: Can't watch the top hat sequence without thinking of the stick out your tush moment, (laughs) and also the putting on the ritz moment from Young Frankenstein. But you know that's no bad thing. It just shows that how how loved these Fred and Ginger movies are by so many fantastic filmmakers. It's a wonderful thing. You can see how they've they've really influenced so many of them.
0: These things are timeless. I just got an invitation through the mail. Your presence requested this evening is formal. Top hat, white tie and tails. Nothing now could take the wind out of. Well, bring on the big attraction, the decks are clear for action. In dealing with a girl or a horse, one just lets nature take its course. And as the nights draw in, perhaps we can encourage you to find yourself dancing, even if the white tie and tails are at the dry cleaners. I've been Rich.
1: I've been Cat. And this has been Don't You Want Me. I'm doodin' up my shirt front putting in the shirt studs Polishing my nails I'm stepping out, my dear, to breathe an atmosphere That simply reeks with class And I trust that you'll excuse my dust when I step on the gas Or I'll be there
0: Puttin' down my top hat Mussing up my white tie, dancing in my tail. (laughs)